Prince of Peace, who is the great I Am. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Beth. Take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13 today as we come back to that text that we looked at last Sunday morning as we uh, observed the Lord's Supper. We kind of used that as a, a meditation for the Lord's Supper. Today I want to delve into that a little further and talk about it a little more as we continue in our study of John's Gospel. You know, as we were singing just now, it, it struck me, and Jeff always seems to do this I'm sure the Lord guides him but it just struck me how well the two songs it is well and he made us his own fit together they're really saying the same thing they really are you know when uh when Horatio Spafford and we all know the story I'm not going to tell the whole story again I, I hope you do if you don't go home and get on the internet and look up Horatio Spafford today and read about it as well but he lost his family lost his children in a in a shipwreck he was not with them. He was in Chicago. His wife survived, went to England, I'm telling the story, and, uh, and sent him a telegram back and said, I alone survived. And he got on a ship and started sailing there and wrote the song, It Is Well. I thought about that this past week as the news has been filled with the luxury liner in, in Italy, was it, that turned over and uh, people died on it and, and the tragedy. And, and I wondered how many people on that ship, their family, husband, wife, could have written that song like Horatio Spafford did after losing his children. No matter what comes, no matter how the waves of life hit me, it is well with my soul. But he knew that and he believed that and he relied on that because he was glorying in the God who made him his own by his grace and for his glory. So it, it's uh, those two just go together. We'll have to do that again. I think it's the first time we've ever done it, but I think we'll do those again, I hope some time. John's gospel is talking about the type of understanding that will help you to be able to sing it is well with my soul even when difficult times come. As a matter of fact John in writing this if you remember from at the first Sunday back before Christmas when we got into John uh, a couple of weeks before Christmas uh, one of the statements I made about studying John was it is very important that you read and you study John worshipfully because John's whole purpose is to draw us into worship John's whole purpose is to help us see the glory of God not the sufficiency of man but the glory of God and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ in everything and when you see that and when you understand that your natural response really it's a supernatural response but your response will be to fall on your face and worship him to cry out to him, glory to God in the highest, you know, glory to his name, uh, that he is the great I am, he is the great creator, he is the great sustainer, he is the great savior, and rejoice in the truth that, he is, he is, that, that John is telling us about here. In verses 12 and 13, we have the essence of the gospel. I titled the glory and the beauty of the gospel. Now, what John talks about here, he's going to talk about it in other places, he's going to expand on it. But if these two verses don't lead you to, to just literally want to worship God and thank God for what he's done through Jesus Christ in your life, then, then you ought to do an inventory on your life because there's something dreadfully wrong. Because John is saying here, I want you to understand that, that God has both done adoption and rebirth in your life. He, he deals with both of them here. 
adoption and rebirth. And, and I read something by a, a, an acquaintance of mine this morning, just briefly, a little one-sentence thing. Well, it was on Twitter. He tweeted this this morning, and I, I thought it was good. So I thought I'd share it with you because I shared it with the youth earlier uh, before uh, during Sunday school. And he tweeted this. He said, God is not seeking great worship, but true worshipers. A consumed people, not a consumer event. Now, take that home with you. Think about that. Because that's what John is trying to get us to see. God is seeking true worshipers. He'll talk about that again in John chapter 4 when he tells us about the encounter Jesus has with the woman at the well. That's where that all comes out of, 423. But the, the point that, that Scotty Smith makes here is, is very true. And that is that, that God's not looking for an event. God's not looking for a great worship service. God's not looking for something that is consumer-driven that would just everybody say, oh, that was so good and so much fun and so entertaining. But God is looking for men and women, young people, who will come together and be so consumed with the glory of God and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ that their hearts just overflow in gratitude and worship. That's what he's looking for this morning from you. If you're a believer here, he's looking for you to get so focused on him and so focused on his glory that you don't see anything else that it, it, it just shadows out all the hard waves of life that Spafford was talking about it, it, just, it just cancels out all the things that would cause you to say oh wh why is this happening to me why is this taking place in my life and you would say listen as long as God is in control it doesn't matter that, that's why I had Scott read this morning as our scripture lesson out of Job because Job came to that point at the end of his uh, the end of that account of his life not the end of his life but Job came to the point of saying listen I've argued I've reasoned I've struggled I've I've had all these things but but when I come into your presence I've come to realize that all I can say is Lord what you say is truth what you say is right what you say is what I must submit myself to, and, and all these other things will take care of themselves. If my focus is on you and in you, and my relationship to you is more important than anything else. I mean, it's just, it's just amazing how, how Job says that, you know. And no purpose of yours will be thwarted. That is, your goodwill will be carried out. And, and so I just want to say, I've heard you, and I've heard of you, and I've heard of you by the hearing of the ear, and I, I know what you're like, but now I, my eye, my spiritual eye sees you and rejoices in the glorious God that you are. That's what John is wanting us to see. John is the most glory-filled of the four Gospels. All four Gospels are true. All four Gospels are about the life and the ministry and the, and the message of Christ. All four Gospels are about the Gospel. But John, among the four, takes one specific focus, and he says, I want you to see what a great work God has done in your life. And I want you to see it's all of grace. And I want you to see it's all of him working to, to adopt you, as he'll talk about in verse 12, and to give you new life that he'll talk about in verse 13, that it's a rebirth, it's an adoption, it's all wrapped up in one, and it's all wrapped up in Jesus Christ, to his glory. I mean, what more can you say? This past week, as I, as I read this, especially thinking about verse 13, talking about we were born, we were born... There he's not talking about physical birth, he's talking about rebirth. But, uh, you know, today is, 
is my birthday. And so uh, don't, don't wish me a birthday. I just wanted to tell you that because it fits in with the sermon. And, and one of the things I thought about on about Thursday this week when I was preparing this sermon is I thought back to about 62 years ago. Now, I'm not 62, but I thought back to about 62 years ago when I was trying to decide, do I want to be born or not? You know, do I want to make that decision to step into the world and, and where do I want to be born? Do I want to be born uh, in, in New York City or do I want to be born in East Aboga, Alabama? Do you know where East Aboga is? All right. East Aboga, Alabama. Uh, or, or do I want to be born somewhere else? And, and, and if I'm going to, where if I'm born, who am I going to be born? What family am I going to be born into? I've got I to make a decision. I've got to decide that. Now, I know what you're thinking. Bill, you spent too much time thinking about nonsense this week. And that's exactly right. But I wonder how much on the spiritual side we don't spend just as much time thinking about nonsense and trying to bring glory to ourselves and missing giving glory to God. You see, God decided that I would be born on, 20, on January the 29th, 1951. And, and God decided that I would be born in East Aboga, Alabama, technically in Talladega Hospital, but I'd live in East Aboga, Alabama. And God decided that, that William Haynes and Bobby Sue Haynes were going to be my parents and I'd be born into their family and, and, and through the biological processes, there I was. And, and, John, and David said in, in Psalm 115 that I was literally by the hand of God woven in my mother's womb. That, that God was preparing me and making me and shaping me to be all that I would be. Now, he didn't make me the smartest in the world. He didn't make me the best looking in the world. And he, he didn't give me a lot of things that, you know, a lot of people have and, and that maybe I've at times in my life foolishly wished I had. But he made me exactly like he wanted me to be. Now, that doesn't mean I have an excuse for being lazy. That doesn't mean I have an excuse for not trying to develop my, my skills that he's given me. My, uh, my, my, uh, doesn't mean I don't try to pursue him in a glorious way and pursue his truth and pursue his, 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 uh, uh, an understanding of his word. It doesn't mean that I say, oh, well, God made me this way. This is just what I'm going to stay. I heard one of the youth teachers this morning, I forget who he was, oh, was quoting one of his son's professors and said, what's the difference between a person who doesn't know how to read, illiterate, and the person who knows how to read and doesn't read? What's the difference between those two? The answer is nothing. And, and, and that's the problem with our spiritual lives sometimes. We, we think, well, we're just what we are. God made us this way. We're just going to stay this way. No, God gave us giftedness so that we could grow. God brought us into his family, gave us new life so that we might grow and develop and mature and, and build upon what God has done, not of our own strength, but by his grace as he gives it to us every day of our life. And that's what John is wanting us to see. Okay, so much for introduction and, and extra here. Let's get to the text. That was free. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right. King James is, is wrong there. It's not power to become the children of God. It's the right to become the children of God, the authority to become the children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of of God. I realize the word born there is understood or implied, but of God. Those two verses talk about the glory and the beauty of the gospel. 
they, they talk about the glory and the beauty of the gospel that is necessary in your life, in my life, every day that we live. It's not just for salvation. It's not just the, the gospel is to get you to Christ and then everything else is just all works. It's not that at all. The gospel is needed in your life, in my life, every single day we live. Our dependence must be on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our power must come, our strength must come from the gospel of Jesus Christ, not anything else as we walk through this life. And if you think, well, I depended on the gospel to get saved 10, 20 years ago or five days ago, and, and yet you say, now, now that I've been saved by the gospel, I don't need the gospel anymore. That's not necessary. That's just elementary. And now I've got to go on and try to do it myself. Then you've missed the whole point of the truth of the gospel and the beauty of the gospel and the glory of the gospel. And John wants us to see that. Because John says, the more you see the beauty and the glory and the power of the gospel, the more your life will conform to the image of Christ. You know, most of the time we treat salvation as something we did. Something we did. And when we do that, we tend to congratulate ourselves and worship ourselves more than we worship God and thank Him. And I realize there is faith that is exhibited, and it's by faith. Those who believed in Him, had faith in Him, to them He gave the right to become the children of God. But John immediately says, I want you to understand that that is a dimension of salvation that is real, but I want you to see what the basis of that faith is on. I, I love how Paul put it in several places, but one I'll just use for a moment here in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. Just listen to this. Paul is talking about being servants of Christ and some who think they're superior to others, you know, that, that I've done something more worthy than you have. I've done something that, that really is, is, is praiseworthy. And, and he says to them, for who regards you as superior? What do you have that you did not receive? And, what did you, and, and, and if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? Now, common Kentucky translation why are you so big-headed over something that you didn't do that God did in your life? Why are you thinking you're so great, you're superior to others, when it's what God has done and what God is doing, that's all that matters and all that counts? Now, I realize that what, what John is saying here in verses 12 and 13 is, is not easy. It, it, there's difficulties in, in men coming to this point and saying, now wait a minute, how can he say it's not, we're not born of blood nor of the will of the flesh nor of the will of man, but we're born of God? Why is John making such a significant thing about that? Well, he's talking about adoption in verse 12. He's talking about the new birth in, in verse 13. And, and he's wanting us to see that our birth is just as dependent upon God's grace and God's work and the Holy Spirit's work in our life as our physical birth was of our mother and father coming together and, and, and marrying and, and bearing children. That our, our, our new birth is dependent upon Christ and his grace and the gospel. That is absolutely true. He says in verse 12, you've been given the right to all who received him. And, and we, we realize he's, he's counteracting immediately what sounded like a very very uh, negative and very, very gloomy point when he said in verse 11, he came to his own and those who were his own did not receive him. Sounds like everybody, everywhere, just reject him. But need I remind you that God always has a remnant. 
God always has a people. God is, never, God is not a helpless God who created all this and then says, boy, I hope you people can do something worthy so that I'm not left alone. Of course, he's never alone because he's, he, he's in himself in full fellowship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We know that. And, and he doesn't need us. He doesn't have to have us. But he has chosen graciously to, to redeem a people for himself. And, and if you're here this morning, I would dare say that you're ready to say, listen, I trusted Christ. I made a decision. I prayed a prayer. I walked an aisle. I did any number of things. And all those are true. And John says all those are true. If you have received him, he gave you the authority. He gave you the right to become the children of God. No argument about that. No questioning about that. And that's a mark of one who belongs to God is that they have trusted Christ and they have received Christ in all his, all his offices, all that he is, in all his perfection. They have received him and God has justified them, is the word Paul likes to use, has justified them, declared them not guilty. But even more than that, as Paul says in Romans chapter 8, he says he has adopted us into his family. We have some adopted children around Grace Baptist Church and it always thrills my soul to see them and, and watch them develop and watch them uh, and some of them don't look anything like their families but you know the more they grow the more they start looking like them not in necessarily physical appearance but in 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 spirit and in personality and in what they do they, they start becoming like the family that adopted them because that family is nurturing and caring and watching over them. And it's the same way when we're adopted into God's family. If we are adopted into his family, if we're, made a, if we're given the right to be a child of God, then, then the more he nurtures us, the more he shows us his grace, the more he builds himself into us and teaches us of himself, the more we naturally become like him. We start looking like him. Not physically, he's a spirit, doesn't have a body, immaterial. But in attitude and in action and in desires, in passions, we start looking more like him. That's why tonight we're going to talk about the passion for ministry, which I said, in other words, are also known as Christ, passion for Christ. For passion for Christ will lead to a passion for ministry. You don't get a passion for ministry apart from a passion for Christ because you don't have his heart if he's not your passion, if he's not your goal, if he's not your source of strength in every single way. So John says, I want you to know you, you, you have to receive him. You have to come to him. And, and when you receive him, when you come to him, he gives you the right to become children of God. And then immediately he says in verse 13, but lest you think you've done something great, lest you think you've done something that you didn't receive as a gift given graciously by your heavenly father, I want to remind you that you were born, and, and literally it's born again there, and he'll develop that later in John chapter 3, John will, and, and Jesus will. You were born not of blood. Now, who do you think that was to? You can talk to me. The Jews. Now, yeah, the Jews, they thought, hey, we've got Abraham's blood flowing in our veins. We're children of Abraham. We, we can trace our lineage all the way back to Abraham and, and through all the great 
prophets and all the kings and and we are a, we are a part of the chosen people we have been born with a right to be called the children of God and John says not so fast children of Abraham Paul will say is not those who have have Israeli blood in their veins children of Abraham are those who have come to trust Christ and been born again into the family of God by adoption they've been brought in I mean there's no blood right to being a part of the family of God you may be sitting here this morning saying well you know my granddaddy and my great granddaddy and my mom and dad they were all godly people oh man they they love God I don't have quite as much use for it as they did but man they loved they they were godly and I just feel like I'm I'm in a good lineage lineage is not based on your ancestors or your family there is no coming to Christ by proxy there is no coming to Christ by osmosis because I, I was born into a good family coming to Christ is coming to him and believing receiving trusting him and him alone it's not by blood you don't get it by just being born for the first time and, and it's also he says not by the will of the flesh there he uses a word that literally talks about uh, the, 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 the reproductive process. Not, not born of the flesh. It wasn't, again, he's, he's not so much talking about uh, being Jewish here as he's talking about just being human. You know, there are a lot of people running around today who said, hey, listen, if, if you're human, you're going you're gonna to be all right with God because God's just going to save everybody. I mean, you know, that's, and John says, I want you to know it's not because you've been born. I like what R.C. Sproul says about it. He said, we used to be a church that believed in justification by faith. Now we're a church across America that believes in justification by death. As if you die, you're all right. So we're all going to be all right one day because we're all going to die one day. And so, and I think R.C.'s right. I, I think we've come to a point where it's not justification by faith in Christ alone on the basis of God's grace alone. It's just, hey, just live like you want. Die when you do and, and everything will be all right because we're all going to die. And God's going to be obligated somehow because we were born of flesh to receive us. John says, not so fast. Not so fast. No, it's not by blood, and it's not just by being human, and it's not by the will of man. It's not because you decide one day you're smarter than everybody else and you need to come to Christ. It's not because, okay, I'm just going to will myself into the kingdom. No, it's by God. It's of God. It's by His grace, and it's for His glory. Spurgeon made the statement one time that this passage is an offense to a lot of people. But he went on to say that if, if you don't preach a gospel that causes offense, then what you're doing is preaching an offense that is not the gospel. And, and that's true. We struggle with this. How can it be that, that we come, we receive, we trust, but it's not of our will, it's not of our blood, it's not of our flesh, or anybody else's blood, flesh, or, flesh or will. It's, uh, we're, we're born again by the grace of God, by His Holy Spirit touching and applying that to our life. And then we respond in grace. Now, now let me ask you something. If, if I came to you this morning and I said, uh, tell you what, I've got, I've got a million dollars I want to give you. That's not much today, though, is it? I've got a trillion dollars I'm going to give you. 
I wish I had $1,000 to give you, but I've got a trillion dollars I want to give to you. Now, now here's all I'm going to ask of you for that trillion dollars. I'm going to ask that you uh, just kind of kneel down before me and kiss my ring, and then every week for the rest of your life, I want you to come back here and say, Oh, Bill, you're the greatest. Oh, Bill, I'm so excited about you. Thank you for the trillion dollars. And that's all you got to do. Just a rote, legalistic thing. Well, you'd say, you know, I'm getting kind of tired of this, having to go back every week. I'm getting kind of tired of it. But man, for a trillion bucks, I'll even do that. What if I just quietly and no big fanfare, no big deal, went to your bank, found out where it was, got your account number somehow, and just deposited in there a trillion dollars. And, and it was yours. No strings attached. You don't have to kiss my ring. You don't have to bow in front of me. You don't have to, you don't have to say, oh, Bill, you're the greatest. Oh, you're, uh, I'm not going to require you to do anything. I'm just going to give you a trillion dollars. I doubt there'd ever come a day that you'd say, man, I just wish I didn't have to think about that Bill Haynes. You'd probably think about me. You'd say, man, he just graced me with a trillion dollars, and I didn't have to do anything. He just, now, now I, I really appreciate it, and I, I love him for it. If you gave me a trillion, I'd love you. You know, uh, and I'd, I'd, I'd love, but, but I wouldn't, if I'm, if I'm making you do a certain thing to do it and, and you do that, then you, you've got to say at least, well, I may not have earned the whole trillion, but I, learned the first, I earned the first hundred million anyway. You know, I did enough that I earned some of that. John is wanting us to see that, hey, you haven't earned anything. Matter of fact, as the hymn says, all I have to come to is to Christ with is my sin you know I come with nothing in my hands of any of any value of any worth and it's simply to the cross I cling it's a matter of realizing that our salvation is not what I earned not what I was able to negotiate we're all big negotiators but it was a matter of falling on my face and saying, God, I didn't deserve this. God, I, I, was, I, was, I was a sinner. I was rebellious. I didn't want you. I, I didn't want anything about Christ. And you birthed me. You gave me life. And you adopted me into your family. I was out there in this orphanage known as Earth. And it, it's a dirty place, and it's a mean place, and it's a horrible place to, to live in existence on your own. But you came to that orphanage, and you said, I'll adopt this one. And, and you adopted me. Why? I don't know. I, I don't understand it. I mean, I'm, I'm standing here this morning. i got to tell you, I'm as, I'm as perplexed about why he adopted me as I am why he adopted most of you. But the point is, John says, 
I want you to come to this book worshipfully. I want you to come to Christ worshipfully. I want you to see that you are here, if you're here, and you are in Christ, you are here by God's grace and for God's glory. Ashton Nettleton, who many of you have no idea who that is, but he's one of the early Baptist, Southern Baptist evangelists back in the 1800s. And Nettleton made this statement. He said, he said, I realize I'm fully aware of the difficulties, uh, difficulties in, in, in this doctrine that I've laid down, talking about these two verses. I, I know full well how ready the natural heart is to both oppose and misconstrue them and say we're not responsible, but we are responsible beings. Uh, but if the Bible supports them, it ought to be enough. Here... Our carnal reason must bow. Here our proud hearts must submit. Charge them with mystery. Or, with or, or you'll make them inconsistency and unprofitableness, O sinner. And you assail not man, but you assail God. Look on his word and read where it stands and where it is written in characters of light which were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. You must submit. You must hear. I love this statement. This is the only birth that can fit us for heaven. It's the only birth that can fit us for heaven. We can't fit ourselves. Paul said to the Ephesians, He has transferred you from the kingdom of darkness into his glorious kingdom of light. He has transferred you. He said to the Ephesians in chapter 2, he said, he said, listen, you are dead in your trespasses and sins. Dead. You've seen dead people. I think he uses birth and he uses death that we understand as a, as a picture, as an analogy for a very specific reason. You were dead in your trespasses of sin. You were a rebel to his cause. And yet, Paul says in chapter 2, my favorite two words, we talked about them a few weeks ago, the most important words in the Bible, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, but God. But God, being rich in mercy, has redeemed you by the cross of Christ. You see, that causes me to want to worship. That causes me not to look for a worship event. That causes me not to look for a great worship but it causes me to want to be a true worshiper. Just, just worshiping Him in spirit and in truth. Just coming before Him and saying, Lord, I recognize that even this week, a hundred times, I, I blew it. I didn't just blow it back before I was a Christian. I blew it this week. But Lord, I am so grateful that I'm not standing in my merit. I'm, not, I'm grateful I'm not standing in my righteousness, but I'm covered in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And you did that. And you saved me. You see, once we get on this side of salvation, it's a tragedy to keep on thinking, God took me because I, I, I got something right. I was smart enough, strong enough, willful enough that I forced his hand or I won his favor. Something I did. 
on this side of salvation, if you're hearing a Christian this morning on this side of salvation, it has to be, Lord, I'm perplexed as to why I'm saved. I'm dumbfounded that you adopted me. I am grateful. Grateful not to myself, not patting myself on the back, but grateful to your grace, to your love. I'm grateful for the, what the song expressed that we sang earlier. You made us your own. We were ruined and undone. We were rebels against your truth. But your love reached down with sovereign hands and called us home. Called us to yours. Made the prodigals come home and gave us life. Folks, that is the glory and that is the beauty of the gospel. And it ought to drive us to worship. It ought to drive us to fall on our faces before Christ. It ought to drive us to see that all the idols of this world are just that, idols. All the stuff is of no consequence. Only Him. Only Christ. Who has clothed us in His righteousness. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for the new birth. Thank you, Lord, for adoption. Thank you, Lord, for changing my heart and the hearts of all those who have come to Christ. Father, I pray for men and women and young people who may be here this morning and they don't know you I ask oh Lord that your Holy Spirit would open their eyes to see and their hearts to believe that your Holy Spirit would work your grace in their life and birth them into the kingdom later we're going to learn in this gospel that Unless you're born again, unless there's a new birth, you can't see the kingdom of God, much less live in it. Father, I pray for new birth in people's lives. Even those, Lord, who maybe have been in the Baptist church and depending on that, depending on mom and dad or granddad, whatever, Lord, I pray that you show them that you alone are sufficient for their salvation. And that they will come to the cross and cling to the cross alone. Thank you, Father. We pray in Jesus' name.